let me just let me kick this off with what an unbelievable conversation. So religion and politics, right? They're the two topics that we always say don't talk about at the dinner table. Don't bring it up around the holidays. They're the black sheep of conversation. But we decided to tackle one of the two, which was religion. Well, we did politics. We did do politics. It's true. It's true. It's true. But in this particular case, we tackled religion. And what an experience. The biggest takeaway, and by no means do I want to come off preachy, but I had a light bulb moment. It's not the religion itself, right, that hurt me. It was the interpretation of the people teaching it to me. And what what a mind blower to think that I could look at my faith right now and I could choose to interpret it in my own way that makes sense to me that I feel connected with. And I think that's what this conversation taught us is that faith in any form, whether it be religious faith, whether it be faith in self, whether it be faith in the universe, whatever your choice of faith is, you can make your own interpretation of it that it'll make sense to you. Well, I think what you can expect from this, and we're literally we're recording this right after we got really emotional none of us let out tears but as we say in the episode we all got verklempt it was a really healing space like we had spoken about like you just said it was a space you know i say towards the end of the episode i i have a conflict with religion because it it caused so many problems in my family and so much hurt you know i said to you you know or i said out loud it wasn't religion that did that it was it, it was the people that that believed a certain thing about it yeah we talk about the narrative and how it affects women in religion based on the interpretation. Yep. We talked about how like that narrative therefore affects Hannah's patients that she sees. We talked about our own experiences and how we put those into scripture. Hannah said the word radical and I wrote mm-hmm. that down and, and this conversation was radical. We talked about the idea of maybe modernizing religion and what that would look like, which I thought was really important. You brought that up and that is like a big thing that I will stand and die on that hill of things that I like just don't understand about this country. And then finding progressive religious spaces for people who are looking to find their way back to faith or feel like they want to become part of something, a community and how to find that and how to find the right space for you. So really, this was such a beautiful conversation. Like you said, this could have gone very very badly, right? Like there's always a great fear when I bring two people that think oppositely from two different spaces in this world. I'm like, well, this could either be really great or this could go really badly and go south really fast. And I have to say this went in the really, really great way. This went in all the positives. I mean, like they said, and like uh, we said it off camera when we had stopped recording, but we are bonded now. Like the five of us are, are bonded. That was a beautiful conversation and I hope it sparks something inside the people that are going to be listening to say wow change can happen I would be very very remiss if I didn't read their bios and talk about yes who we, ta- who we talk to so we got to talk to Hannah Brents again if you have not listened to her episode of cycle chats please go ahead and make sure to do that religious trauma with Hannah Brents I don't remember what episode it is it, I think it's like episode 70 though so Hannah Brents is a therapist with a private practice in Massachusetts she specializes in trauma religious harm and anxiety 
She's a background in religious studies, yoga, and meditation. In her time off, she is an avid knitter, traveler, and skier of baby slopes. I can't even do that. So that is impressive. <laughs> then we have Ashira Boxman, who I have been wanting to have on the podcast for years. I'm so thankful that she came on. I'm so thankful that I, we saved this conversation with her yeah. until now. It was like the perfect time. I found her willy-nilly online. We had spoken back and forth a little bit. And for me, because I'm coming from the Jewish side of this conversation, she really healed so much for me me because I, I'm so fearful of people, as I say, that people are religious because immediately in my brain, I, I go, well, this person must have a lot of hate in their heart. And Ashira mm -hmm. and Lexi and Hannah are the complete opposites of that. So Ashira Boxman is a fourth year rabbinical student on the New York campus of Hebrew Union College. Prior to beginning her studies at HUCJIR, Ashira attended Florida State University where she studied family and child sciences and social work. And my God, she was amazing. And then we have Reverend Lexi Baudreau. Reverend Lexi is from the Boston area, having lived and worked in the area as a clinical research coordinator and financial accounting manager after receiving a BA in classics from Boston College. After graduating from Harvard Divinity School, I mean, my God, Harvard University, she must have seen Elle Woods there. She has been serving <laughs> UCC churches in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and is currently serving as the pastor of the First Congregational Church of Hopkinton, NHUCC. I can't thank Hannah enough. She was the person that got us in touch with Lexi. Lexi was exactly who I was hoping that she would be. And she was so sweet. And she mentioned her voice and she had such a calming voice. So if anybody tells her anything about her voice, let Dude. it be that it was calming. She doesn't need to change anything about it. What a beautiful, calming, just serene voice that I was happy to listen to. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I could go on and on about how wonderful these ladies are, but I think we should just let you get into the episode. Take away from it whatever you need to. And they ask the question, and I want you to think about this question as you're going into this episode. What does faith mean to you? And what are you hoping to get out of your experience? Let's start the episode. Welcome to Break the Cycle. We are your cycle breakers and hosts, Emily Palacios and Stephanie Laverde. We are here to have honest and thought-provoking conversations that inspire you to break the cycle of generational traumas, mental health, societal pressures, women's health, toxic relationships, and most importantly, make our 15-year-old selves proud of the person we have become. In each episode, we will be joined by an expert to empower you through education, and at the end of each episode, answer questions or advice sent in by you, our listeners. So get ready to take the first step in your journey to break the cycle. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. This is really exciting. This is our first ever more than two other people. Now we have three other guests, which is really cool. There's going to be a lot of people on the mics tonight. And future Emily has a lot of editing to deal with. So I can't wait to get there. But this is a really important conversation. Stephanie and I feel very, very strongly about religion and what we've been through with it and bringing people maybe a different idea of what it can be if especially if they're coming from religious trauma like both Stephanie and I have come from. So I think to start this conversation, I actually really want to talk about the history of women.
women in religion to kind of start it right at the beginning from when these books have been written and now taken in by so many people and those adaptations of how women are written in those books. I don't know because I come from a Jewish household is where I grew up. So I don't know as much about the Bible. I will say though, I read 35 pages of it. When I was studying for my role of Agnes and Agnes of God, I played a nun and I was like, I'm going to do it right and read the Bible and figure this out. And I got about 35 pages in and that's all I could do. So, you know, I, I gave it the old college try. So let's start about women and how they were written historically and how they get perceived now. Henny, you want to start us off? Yeah. So I would just, I went to a Sunday service. I'm visiting family now in the South, <clears throat> excuse me, visiting family now in the South. And so I went to a Sunday service with them this last week. And apparently it's this, Lexi, you can confirm me, start of Advent. I didn't realize that it was starting it started this last week. I thought it was in December. And I think that around this time of year, I say all this to say that people love to talk about the genealogy in Christian churches of Jesus. It's like the time of year. And one of the things that in my experience, they love to focus on is the, I believe, three women that are named in the genealogy. And so I think that in communities that I have been in, in religious communities that I've been in, quite fundamentalist, there is this tendency to interpret texts in a way that serves their purpose. And so it's very convenient, for example, this, this time of year to use the text and these like three women women to talk about, you know, their sordid histories. And so I think that women, speaking of their sordid histories, like in these communities and these scriptures are often painted as either completely passive participants or passive members, or as these stumbling blocks. And I think that those are really like the two dichotomies that I grew up with about like either you are a stumbling block and that causes conflict or you are completely passive. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at one of the bigger names in the Bible, right, Adam and Eve, Eve was the the stumbling block. And so oftentimes we don't give her her own autonomy. She was part of something else. And it's interesting because it's like I always viewed it as she was the 2.0 version. So like, why would you get the AirPods if you can get the AirPod Pros? It like comes with more, you know, <laughs> like I don't want to like toot my own horn. But do you ladies find because Emily and I both grew up different. So she grew up Jewish. I grew up Catholic. Do you ladies find there's overlapping in the text that like the similarities, like there's like the, the core like value of what the purpose of that woman was like, do you ladies find that there is that that overcrossing or do you find that it's two very different things? Can I just ask for some clarity around yeah, that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you talking about a comparison between the Jewish Holy Scriptures and the Christian text? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of like because we, we talk about the three main women. A lot of those names are brought for it serves a certain purpose. So do you find that that purpose relates across all texts or do you find that there's a difference in how those names are utilized? Are you asking like is is there overlap between how Jewish and Christian communities might use the narrative of these women? Yes, thank you. I can jump in. I would say that in Judaism, a lot of the stories of the women in, in our scripture is about infertility and praying for children. But you also have these stories of, for example, Miriam in the Exodus 
from Egypt leading the Israelites out. And so I think similar to what Hannah was saying, it's it's like when it's convenient for the story, you highlight the bravery and the more positive qualities. And yeah, I think it's very, very clear that throughout the Torah, it is mostly, it's a big highlight on men, the patriarchs. And I think that as a reform, I'm a reformed Jew. So it's like the most progressive sect in Judaism. We make a conscious effort to bring to light the woman in the stories. And we have something called Midrash, which are basically ways of taking what we know and creating like folktale, almost like stories from that. And you can find some really beautiful Midrashim that involve women in a way that aren't, you know, explicitly made clear in the Torah. And so I think that's another way of trying to get around the absence a lot of times of women in the Torah. Ashira, thank you for bringing that up because something that, you know, I thought of when Emily asked the question, I said to myself, well, the Bible is so clearly largely an androcentric text, which means that it centers the experience of men primarily. You know, even when you think about the the story of Ruth and Naomi, right? They're brought into that circumstance because the men in their life, like they aren't protected by men anymore. And by necessity, they need to lean on each other economically for shelter, for support. And it just really showcases how how much women were reliant on the patriarchal system of men being in control during that time. However, I feel like even though it is an androcentric text, a lot of the harm that I've seen come from us looking at women in that text is the bad interpretations of women in the Bible at large. You know, Hannah alluded to some of it in in the local church context. But when we look at the New Testament, it's often shocking to me that people argue against women's ordination when Mary Magdalene was the last person at the cross and she was the first person to proclaim the resurrection. She was the one who told the disciples what was going on. She was the one who was the first preacher. So I think when we look at women in the Bible, it's about how we interpret and how we see what's actually going on in the text. When we see stories of Jesus interacting with women in the Gospels, you know, I think of the hemorrhagic woman, the woman who bleeds in, I think it's the Gospel of Matthew. And she's in this crowd, and she's been bleeding for like 20 years, something like that. And that's a very, I mean, that's such a serious thing at the time, because there was no medical system. There was nobody who had a stake in her healing and she finds Jesus in the crowd and she pulls on her own agency and her own faith and reaches out and touches Jesus, claims her own healing for herself. And he turns around and says, woman, your faith has made you well. So when we see women interacting with Jesus and Jesus interacting with women in the gospels, he centers their own agency, he centers their own belovedness, and he uplifts them as examples of faith in their community. So I think it's not really an issue of the scripture. It's an issue of flawed people interpreting the scripture for their own power and their own means. I'm really glad that you said that too, because that's always been an issue for me is when text is brought up in conversation about religion. I always like to say, well, your interpretation of that is going to be very different than how it was written or how even the way that language is now is very different. So we're interpreting it 
through the lens of our own language. So certain words might not mean the same thing. So I'm, I'm glad that you said that. It is super important. And something that I say to my students constantly is like opinions are like assholes and everyone has one. So like the interpretation thing is truthful, right? It's just what you're taking away from whatever baggage you're holding in your life and the narrative that comes from that. I mean, coming from person who also grew up reform slash conservative when things got a little hectic in my house. I then dated an Orthodox Jew and was like, I'm going to marry this person. It's going to be fabulous. And we lived together and we had to lie to his parents that we lived. I mean, it was a whole, it was a, it was a real dark hole. And I think about that relationship now and the role that women play in an Orthodox Jewish relationship. And I was like, wow, I would be probably pregnant with my fifth kid. I wouldn't be able to speak my mind the way that I do now. I wouldn't be able to probably teach in the space that I'm teaching in. Like there are so many things that I could not have done. And I look back on that and I go, gosh, I'm so thankful that I didn't end up in that relationship. Like the fact that it ended was a a blessing in disguise, even though of course in that time when everybody gets broken up with, it's not a blessing, but I think about that constantly and how I really dodged a bullet that would not have made me very happy in my life in the way that I want to live it. So I guess because we're talking about this idea of narrative, I wrote down this question of like, how are you finding then that these narratives that people are taking away with this text, especially in these, this broad spectrum of religion, because everybody has their own beliefs in their own way in and out and all of that. But like, if we go to Orthodox Jew and we go to very, very, very Catholic or conservative Catholic. And we're on these two separate spectrums where people believe what they're being told and only that narrative and not taking it for themselves. How is that affecting these women that you're finding? Like, is there a way that we can make them see a different path or are they just going to be stuck and it will continue to cycle through and we will never progress further then? Yeah, I can jump in. I think that a problem, I don't know if I'd say a problem, but it's like you're not like a missed opportunity, I would say, is creating more dialogue between the sects of the religions. Because I think a lot of it is just education and knowing, being familiarized with things. And for example, I grew up a Reformed Jew. My family is Reform. My dad's a Reform rabbi. But I went to modern Orthodox Jewish day school. I was really involved in Chabad in college. And all well them knowing that I'm a Reformed Jew, my oldest sister is a rabbi. And now that when I was coming back to visit the Chabad, telling them that I'm studying to become a rabbi and just creating those relationships with them prior to, you know, with all of that, with telling them all this, having that relationship created an immediate understanding with one another of who we were, where we came from. And because I was so confident in what I was doing, it wasn't like a a threat. Or it wasn't like they were trying to, they could try and change me. And I think in doing that, it also showed them that it is okay for women to have these roles. I actually know someone, right? Like I know someone who is a woman rabbi and she's a great person, you know, like we have a friendship and whatever. And so I think there's something to be said. It's hard. It's for sure hard because you come, you're coming from very different places, but I think it's a missed opportunity when when we fail to educate others. And the same goes for them educating me for, you know, misconceptions that I might have about the way they practice their Judaism. I very much agree. You know, I, 
I grew up Christian going to church, but also my stepmom is Reformed Jewish and would often be at, at the home to attend holidays throughout the year with her. And it really gave me an appreciation for having a broader perspective on how to approach our relationship with the divine. And I think we have to start making friends with people who think differently than us. It's one of the reasons why I chose to go to divinity school at Harvard Divinity School, because it's a non-sectarian seminary where people come from all different perspectives. Atheists go there, all sorts of Christians go there, all sorts of, I had many Jewish friends who were there for other reasons before going to rabbinical school. Muslim students study there and I intentionally chose that environment to learn because that's what real life is like. You know, we are all learning and walking alongside one another in this life and we're all coming from different perspectives. So I wanted to be able to train for ministry in that environment. And what I found is that the closer that we got to know each other, the more we recognized that our mutual belovedness and that we are fundamentally beholden to one another no matter where we're coming from as human beings, right? And that's what our faith is calling us to, ultimately. I mean, that's what I think. So my rule of thumb is, you know, if I'm in a conversation with somebody who holds a deeply different understanding of even my own tradition, and I start to get a little activated, you know, because we all live with trauma in our bodies, right? Just start in a place of curiosity. Take a breath and get curious and look to wonder, you know? hmm, I wonder where that's coming from, or I wonder what experience they had that led them to that thought or belief. And just have just have ultimate compassion. <laughs> and as you get to know one another, you know, as Ashira said, I've been taught that women aren't supposed to be ordained, but I have this really cool rabbi friend who's a woman or a minister in my life who's a woman, and she seems to be doing, you know, wonderful work in the world. And that's how people start to change is through their own lived experiences with people that they know and love. Yeah. I'm getting very verklempt in this conversation. It's true though. I think we get activated in our own personal stake in things. And also too, no one wants to feel like they're wrong. And so when somebody's disagreeing with you, and especially when it comes to those really hot topics like religion or politics or just core values, we take a personal kind of turn to it. So the curiosity piece, I think is so important. And especially coming into the space as a woman, one of our questions was, what does it feel like to be a woman in a religious space? So I feel like that's a good segue into that question because I think it relates pretty heavily. So who wants to kind of take that first? The silence before volunteering to answer that first, I think, speaks to how complicated the answer to that question is, right? Mm. In my like little helper notes, I, I was journaling earlier today and I just said, it is a privilege and it is complicated. Hmm. That's really good. Put That's that it right sticker. there. That was it. Thank you so much. That for was, yeah. Thanks no. so much for joining us for the 20 minute conversation. Lexi chopped it off. Beautiful. Done. Don't get activated. Get for <laughs> Complicated. You've summed up the whole conversation. I know exactly what part of this clip I'm going to use to, to promote this. I think, you know, we could talk about bodies. We could talk about many times I've had people tell me things about my voice isn't right or mm. things I just can't change, you know? And part of my response is, well, this is who I am and I can't change. I can't change my voice. 
you know, we can talk about those things. But I think for me, you know, I grew up with a woman as a minister. I saw a woman at the pulpit every week. And I think it really made a difference in my self-confidence and my understanding of who I could show up as in the world. People can only imagine themselves in the roles unless they see people who look like them in those roles. And I feel privileged to be able to be in the body that I have in the role that I have, because I know that young women, girls look at us and are able to see themselves in a position of religious authority, but also as close to God, you know, and that needs to happen for young girls. How great is it? Because a lot of what I have seen when it comes to Christianity has been that very, very stereotypical Southern Bell kind of a, a vibe to it. And it's not all that, though. Like, I feel like you take every sector of religion, you're going to have the stereotype that everyone thinks of immediately. But if you were to really peel back the curtain, you're going to see that that's like anything, right? It's like the celebrities on the TV that are preaching. That's a lot of that is facade. You got to really go beneath the surface to see people who are really practicing, who are actual real people. And so I think that's beautiful. And I love that that's, that you got the experience of seeing a woman preach because I was very into my I'm st- I still have faith but I was real like hardcore into my faith if I would have seen a woman up there I feel like the trajectory of where I would gone in life it would have been a little bit different because it feels comfortable Shira do you feel that that's kind of something similar that you you grew up in or you experience yeah I'm, I'm ready to jump in the biggest reason I started the Instagram account that I have everyday rabbi is because that exact reason I wanted to show people that their idea of what a rabbi looks like acts like speaks like etc fill in the blank is not what it has to be and so the idea of the account which I, I could post more I, I will admit is that time and also who wants to what is terrible place. Yeah, totally. I want to show people that I I go out to eat like they do. I hang out with my friends at night on the couch. Like I curse. I do like I, <laughs> you know, I like I'm a, a normal person. And I think that that is something in particular that we actually spend a lot of time talking about that in school is this standard and this idea that people will hold us to. And how do we balance that with like who we really are and how do we show them that it's okay for us to be human beings and not just rabbi or just a faithful person. And I also, in doing this, my hope is that I'll show other people that you can do this too. Like this isn't something so far off. This is a profession that is also available to you. I actually, on Friday morning, sometimes at my synagogue where I'm the intern at, I lead music and prayers with the little like preschoolers. And I I have had that thought, Lexi, where I'm like, this is so cool that they're going to now grow up seeing a woman leading all of this and that these little girls, when they're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? A rabbi isn't going to be so weird for them to say, because that's what they're looking at. You know, that's what they're experiencing. And so I I have thought about that. And then just a cute story. My oldest sister is a rabbi, like I said, and she has two little boys and one of her sons, Jacob, he went to a, a synagogue with a male rabbi and he looked at her and he said, boys can be rabbis too. 
<laughs> and I feel like that just like sums up this idea that it's it's what you know, it's what you're familiar with, what you're taught, what you're shown, so much so that he just thought that women were rabbis and men weren't. And so I feel like it's it's a cute story from a little kid, but it really like shares a lot and tells a really big story. Yeah, I I love that. So I I'm 32 or will be in June, but when I was growing up and going to synagogue, it was a male rabbi and a male cantor. And I remember when my brothers got bar mitzvahed, I was very, very young. They're much, much, much older than me. They're eight and 10 years older than me. But I remember when they got bar mitzvahed and they got their talid and they, they, I was like, oh, well, I want that. That seems not fair. I, I want that. And then as I got older, we actually ended up switching temples. It was a whole big thing with my mom. Once again, all comes back to mommy. And we ended up switching temples. And at that temple, the rabbi who was there was a man, but he was leaving. I think he was retiring and a female was coming in. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a female rabbi. By, and I was about to get bat mitzvahed and I went, can I get a talit? And my mom went, yeah, of course, like we'll go shopping and we'll get you one. And I, I still have it and it's beautiful. And like, I am not a religious person. I'm very spiritual now, but I still remember going to the Judaica store with my mom and picking out that talit and feeling so special and honored to be able to wear it because I wasn't allowed to when I was little, even when I was little. And I'm only, you know, like I'm a young millennial or a medium millennial, whatever I am. So, you know, I think it is interesting to think about how things have changed in religion as things have moved on I, I just went out to dinner my mom reconnected with a friend that she had from high school and she was like come out to dinner with me and my friends and her son and his daughter I was like all right fine ma you got it so I went out with them and I was like Ugh, they're probably going to be very Jewish and I'm it's not really my deal and they ended up being so nice right I have my own judgments because of what I've been through of people that are religious the daughter and I ended up talking she's 37 so she's a little bit older she has two kids and we were just kind of talking about our moms and I mentioned my mom and like the things that my mom does not approve of. Like the fact that I married outside the religion, nah. The fact that my brother married outside the religion, nah. The only reason that my gay brother is allowed is because he married a Jewish lawyer, as she once said at dinner. It's the only way. So I was like explaining to her my mom's beliefs and she was like, yeah, it's interesting to me because my mom has somewhat similar beliefs, but it's interesting because I think they grew up with this idea of religion and what religion was for their parents, our grandparents, and how strongly they felt. Like my grandpa lived in New York City in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood and only knew Jews. Like that was it right? Nobody mixed and mingled. Nobody wanted to talk to one another. It was very segregated. So they instilled that in our parents. And now that is being narrated to us. And we're like, wait a minute, this makes no sense anymore. So I think it is really interesting to look at religion through generations and how it kind of narratively changes based on what's happening in society. Like now we have technology at our fingertips. Like the whole world is open to us and we're able to say, nah, that's not how it is anymore. So I don't know. It, it's very interesting to me to think about how religion goes generationally. I did want to ask Hannah because it's probably very interesting for you, Hannah, coming from this as a therapist who is helping people through religious trauma. Like 
how are you finding these narratives that we've been talking about affecting your clients and how are you reframing this narrative for them to help them on their path? Yeah, I've been reflecting about that since I am currently in the context in which I was raised. I'm visiting home and seeing old friends. And and I've been thinking recently about sort of almost like personality types of religious trauma and how there can be like the peacemaker or the militant or just these other kinds of things that are drawn out of us. So I was having dinner with an old, old friend yesterday. She and I are so different. And she was saying at the very end, she was like, I have performed my entire life and I am exhausted. And I said, that's so interesting. I don't think I've ever performed And, you know, the plus side of performing is peace. And what you get when you don't is conflict. And I think that like that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like Ashira, you said something in the very beginning about how you went into this context with people who I I think were had maybe more rigid beliefs than you do. And when you were speaking about being in rabbinical school or as a female rabbi, you were like, I was confident in my decision. So it wasn't we weren't trying to convert each other or whatever. And I think like that is something that talk about a lot with folks of so this is an indirect way to to your question, Emily, is that like people earn the right to the sensitive parts of you. And that I think when people are conditioned to believe that in religious context, that the community is, or the leader is privy to any and all information about them, that they don't know that, that they don't actually have to share. And like why that's important is because when you've had adverse religious experiences or when your identity doesn't align with your community, then you feel compelled to share things in unsafe circumstances or with unsafe people. And so I think like that's like a really important aspect of this, of it's important to not share things until you are confident in them. Because when you are confident in them, like you were saying, it just brings in this different dynamic of non-threatening almost. It's like, this is just the thing. This is a neutral thing. And so I think that a lot of my clients struggle with doing things like it's coming up a lot lately because of the holidays, having conversations with families. And I think that it comes up a lot around like sexuality and gender. I think that tends to be the primary thing, honestly. And then outside of that, I would say almost like doctrine, really, depending on how strict someone was raised, when beliefs about God changes, like that can feel like such a paradigm shift and such a worldview change that like it can almost feel important to share that with the people who you now are differently religious from. So I I think that those two areas tend to be a lot of where, where I see people, of course, family dynamics. Yeah, I would say primarily those. You made me actually think about something that I originally wasn't going to bring here, but I, it may, it makes sense. So this confidence idea is so interesting because I do feel like I am confident in those spaces where I need to show up and say whatever, but confidence in my dating life is something that I've been working on. And when I say that I am studying to become a rabbi, that's like a big topic in therapy for me. It's like getting to that place where when I say it, there's not this tone of embarrassment or Mm. fear and that how different will it be perceived from the guy if I am saying it confidently and how he won't question, you know, 
is it weird or whatever if I'm not coming off like that? So I think the confidence thing is really key and it shows up in so many areas when discussing religion and religious roles, et cetera. That's very interesting. We had a police officer on Stephanie and she also brought up her dating life. We were asking her about it and she was saying, the minute that I say I am a police officer to these men, they immediately feel like she feels them put up the wall because they're like, okay, no, that's not the role that I wanted you to play. And she's like, at first it was, it was like something that I didn't share on my dating profiles. She goes, now I just put it on. That way they know right away what they're going to be signing up for so that when I say it, they don't put up that wall and I know the date's over because they're no longer interested in a woman playing a more masculine role. So I I think that's very interesting because I, I do think men have very small egos and they don't like to be bruised and they don't like their egos to be bruised and they don't like when women question certain things. So I think that that is definitely something that I I find intriguing to look at. And it's funny because I was listening to Armchair Expert, which everybody knows is my favorite podcast that I listen to besides my own, but they were talking to Eva Longoria and they brought up the idea of God. And she was saying that she you know, she's still very faithful in her religious views. And she was trying to explain God to her son because heaven was brought up because their dog had died. It was a whole thing. And she was like, what do, what do I do here? Like, I don't know how to bring this up to a, a child. So she, w- she w- was like, okay, I have to figure this out. She was like, we'll talk about it. And she ended up like finding a video on YouTube and played it for him. I guess another kid describes what God is. I have to find the video. She said it was fabulous. So she is talking about it. And Dax is like, because she said he, the pronouns of he for God. And he was like, yeah, or they or she and like, you know, they, they blundered a little bit. And he was like, it has to be a, a man to me. Because what woman would create this world with so much hatred? He was like, it is a patriarchal system, a man had to have created it. And I went, whoa, that is a crazy statement. And that totally made me like, because I have been trying to change the pronouns of what I say when if I say God, I typically say universe, I have been trying to change it to she so as my husband, it's just something that we feel more connected to this idea of mother nature. But I was like, Oh, man, I guess it does make sense. If I think about it that way, what woman would create a patriarchal society? No woman. No woman is going to be like, you know what, let the men in charge. No. And I was like, wow, that it blew my brain. So I I wanted to share it because I wrote it down. I was like, that was just it was a crazy thing to listen to. And it just made so much sense to me in that moment. I like that a lot because, well, I like that you bring that up a lot because one of the things that when I was talking about the theology piece that comes up in therapy is like, I'm really clear with my clients that like, I'm not a Christian therapist. I'm not like, I don't care what you believe. It's important for us to figure out what you believe. And one of the hardest things is for people coming from very high control religious environments is mystery and like sort of ambiguity, uncertainty. And so I just like that story because what it shows me is like, okay, that works for Eva Longoria. And I like how it kind of like stops you for a minute. Like, oh, wow. Right. Huh. 
and it makes you think. And what I would say is like one of, at least for me in my practice, anything important coming out of high control religion of like grounding into uncertainty and ambiguity as it relates to like mystery as it relates to the divine. So I like that example a lot because like Eva Longoria was saying like, this isn't really important for me because X, Y, and Z. And Dax was like, well, yeah, I don't know about that. And, you know, you and your partner are trying to do change these for these reasons. And I think it's just a really good example of like how mystery is so important and being able to tolerate a certain amount of uncertainty. I mean, that's what religion is, right? A lot of uncertainty. We None, none of us know what's going to happen after whether I believe in ghosts or not, which I do. But like, you know, I don't I don't know. But when I see a ladybug on my windshield, I always talk to my grandma Lou. Like there are just things that I connect with as a as a human that I, I want to believe in an afterlife, right? It creates a lot of peace for people that are, you know, I, my dad is like, he's definitely listening right now, is very fearful of death, right? He's 72 years old and he's like, I, I know it's coming for me. He's like, I'm in the latter part of my life. I'm in my final act. I'm like, okay, dude, like you're 72. You're still, you're, you're going, he, he's a crazy man. Stephanie's laughing because she knows him very well. So being so fearful and he, he's been very fearful of death since being a child, it, it is very calming, right? This idea and peace that like the afterlife exists and you will be reunited with these people that you have lost like that it that could bring tears to my eyes if I really sat in that so it is a lot of unknown because nobody knows there's no stamp saying this is exactly the right way this is exactly what's going to happen nobody can say that no religion no person no no nothing because it, it is a mystery and I think that's the beauty and also kind of its demise because people want clarity and I think it's really hard to get there sometimes. I mean, li life is unclear, right? And we, <laughs> it's so human to want the certainty, to want the clear path, to want the answers. But the fact of the matter is that none of us really have all the answers. And I feel like some of the most, I hate to use this word, but like delicious parts of faith is mystery, is the mystery of the divine, the mystery of the unknown, the experience of being human and not having it all in front of us, you know? And I think about like how our language shapes our understanding of our worlds and and referencing the Dak Shepard, Eva Longoria conversation. <laughs> You're welcome. They don't need to be any more famous. I'm so glad yeah. I've mentioned them. <laughs> They're 10 times more famous now. <laughs> I've just been thinking a lot lately in my practice of ministry about the words that we say in worship. And in particular, when we kind of limit ourselves to only masculine language, only, you know, our father or he, him, that, that sort of language. Because I read this quote when I was in divinity school by Gail Ramshaw. She's a, a liturgical theologian. She does a lot of research on liturgical language. And she said, when anthropomorphisms succeed in containing God, we have no God. We have instead a glorified image of ourselves. Wow. And it just stopped me in my tracks because when we diversify the ways that we talk about God, we are reminded that all those things are metaphor and that we really can't know, know God fully. And that that's a humbling experience. And it also works against this, you know, churning of patriarchy that we've we've been talking about this whole time. But it just made me think of that 
that quote that is just like living rent free in my mind. (laughs) Um, Lexi, you just made me think of this past summer, I was working as a chaplain getting like CPE. Did you do it, Lexi? What a ride. (laughs) What a ride. Yeah. I was at Bellevue hospital. So that was a very intense experience, but one of my favorite parts of it was the type of prayer that I was doing with the patients, because maybe I had one Jewish patient while I was there, but everybody else was not Jewish. And so therefore like the prayer that I would always depend on in a Jewish space, which is pre-written and you're just reading, you know, what's in the prayer book. For the first time, I was like creating these prayers just with the words in my heart and the words of the person next to me's heart and like just free flowing. And I actually felt almost the most spiritual that I've ever felt because it was so personal and it wasn't prescribed. And I actually, going back to the God idea is one of the questions I would ask before starting to pray with the patient is how would you like me to refer to God or to this being, you know? And it was, it was really interesting. The answers that I received, I I will say for the most part, it, it was father or what they're probably taught, you know, but when I did get a different answer, I was really, I was excited. I was like, this is so cool. Cause it, it is, it's, I think once we like really grasp that idea that it's up to us and it's no one else can tell us what, what the right way is. I feel like a whole world opens up to us. I just feel like I want to note this theme that I feel like it's running throughout some of the things that we're saying from like evidence of women in scripture to our own experiences of agency, autonomy, confidence, like I I hear these words throughout and how it sounds like as being a woman in these spaces, that is radical. And so one of the passages that always kind of, I think, stays with me is Hebrews. Lexi, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a long time since I was in theology school, that there are a cloud of witnesses. And and so I think that as women in religion, we have this great cloud of witnesses. And whether that be ancestral or from textual sacred text examples or the women in our lives or female clergy that we've seen along the way, I think that it is so powerful like we've mentioned, to have this cloud of witnesses around us. Yeah, I I love that. Just like the image, you know, of, of what that looks like. But something I actually thought of while I was speaking about this, you know, creative personal prayer is the first person that did that in the Bible was Hannah. And, you know, she was called out because she thought they thought she was drunk because she was moving her mouth, but words weren't coming out. And she's the first person in the Bible to have created personal prayer. And so like, I think it really aligns with, you know, of course it was a woman, you know, like, but, but that we have that, that person to now look to and see that, yeah, it's okay to pray your own prayer and that you don't have to stick to the, you know, prescribed things. That's when I felt the closest to my spirituality was personal prayer. And like, I always thought you had to pray what was told to you. And then once I was told, no, you just kind of like talk to God. And I'm like, what? And I don't remember who it was that said that, but it made the idea of faith so much less scary. And I feel like that's kind of what we need in order to have conversations about faith is that it's not, I mean, this is my personal belief is it shouldn't be so 
so much fanfare and so intense. Like you walk in and you have to dress a certain way and act a certain way and sit a certain way. And, and it's that's again, it's like you're putting on a show. And I think that's why I strayed so far away from it is because I didn't want to put on a show. And like Hannah, like you were saying, is that things are much easier when you are essentially faking it. And that spoke to me very deeply because that was most of my life. And then when I started questioning things, that's kind of when when the train conductor turned into like a chain smoker and was just like, we're about to take this thing off the rails. So I love that it seems like now, especially with you ladies, we're moving into a space where we can relate more to these individuals in the scripture. So I have a question. Do you feel at any point that there should be some sort of a revival? Like, should we really start to modernize these scriptures? This is always my thing. This is always my debate, Stephanie Ann. Yes, because I don't understand. We're a very, I mean, a very small, a very large country, but a very baby country at the same time. I always think, and I'm like, but why are we still living with the rules and the laws that were made thousands of years ago well, for a time that doesn't exist exactly it doesn't so exist anymore so that and that's my debate with religion too this no longer exists so why are we not rewriting things i don't understand like everything else is updating why is the laws that are in this country and why is religion because those are the two oldest things that we have so why are they not being rewritten because i'm sorry hamilton didn't live in a world where he had instagram and and facebook <laughs> and tiktok and all of these stupid things and and guns at a ready where they were going into schools and shooting like this didn't exist back then so our issues are stemming from this thing that shouldn't even exist in the first place because those laws are totally outdated and religion is totally outdated. It needs to be rewritten because we are so much more learned now. We're not living and having to like go on a cattle ride for five days, hoping and praying that we've <laughs> made it the one mile to our friends and family. Like, you know, we can just drive in our car now. They would be shot. It's like if you've never seen, and now I'm going to butcher it, Seth Rogen is in a movie. And by God, if you have never watched it, it's so good. It's the Pickle movie. And I forget the name of it. It is fabulous. Anyway, his grandfather, great, 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 great grandfather basically gets pickled in a pickle factory, becomes unpickled, like people find him in the factory. And then he meets up with Seth Rogen now, who's his great, 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 great grandson. And it's him living in this reality of what is now. And then he like ends up going back to his old town. It is a great movie. I really enjoyed it. And that's literally always what I'm thinking of. I'm like, he doesn't exist in this time anymore. That's why he doesn't understand it because it no longer exists. It's not a thing anymore. Thank you, Stephanie. That was my rant. Thank you all for coming no, to my TED talk. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Emily out. So I'm not sure if we're talking about modernizing politics or religion religion modernizing religion yeah that's a different conversation i just got on my high horse sorry so i grew up in a high control high demand religious community and i married a non-american citizen and my partner tells me often when when we talk about it that it sounds like i grew up in the middle ages or like the dark ages that like how you know america is supposed to be the land of opportunity and you know, all of these sort of 
things, the American dream or whatever. But it sounds like I grew up in this scenario that you're describing. I was going to say, like, did you grow up in Texas? Because I think that might have happened <laughs> because I did. I grew up in Texas. So, yeah. So I am, I'm not, sh- I, I can't say like, make a comment about how I feel about modernizing it now. But I just wanted to reflect, I kind of think it's funny sometimes to hear it helps for me to like hear his outsider perspective of like what it actually sounds like when I talk about it, because I don't have that. And I realized like, oh, wow, I guess this was crazy. That's just it, right? Is that we don't know until we're on the other side of things how something affected us. We have so many wonderful questions that I would love. But I love. want them to answer that one. What? If, if they want to. The modernization of religion. I think it's very interesting. If they feel comfortable. I know that wasn't something that we had planned. We just got excited. I can give a quick answer. I don't know how quick, but I'll try and make it quick. Well, I think the cool part about Judaism is that after the temple was destroyed, the authority went from the rabbis in the temple to, or not the rabbis in the temple, but like heads of the temple to the rabbis. And so it went in the ha- in the hands of people. And so what they did is then they, they commented, they were the commentators on the Torah script. And something that the reform movement and other movements do too, is they create new commentaries. Like, and so I think right now the reform movement is actually working on a, a new one to update their comments and their thoughts and people in the field and, you know, their interpretations of the text. And I think that I think is key because I, as much as there are things that I want to get rid of in the Torah, because I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. I think there are some other things that actually could be helpful today. And so I think the key is actually building upon what we already have. And so, for example, like with Shabbat, it's like the day of rest, right? And so in Reform Judaism, that looks different in so many ways, right? Like for one person, it's not being on their phone all day, but they're still traveling, they're driving, they're watching TV. For another person, it's not turning on Netflix, you know? And and so I think it's all about the way we interpret things. And so I do feel very fortunate to have grown up in a movement that was very pro that, right? But I look at Shabbat and I'm like, there is something there. Like they were onto something, you know? And I so think I- about it constantly. That is one thing that if ever it comes a time in my life again, when my husband and I can like power down for those that like 24 hours, that was such a beautiful time for me and and that partner at that time to just like disconnect from everything and be together. And it was really lovely. So I, I do appreciate that there are, yes, I agree. There are beautiful things like Sukkot is one of my favorite holidays. It's so beautiful. I love the idea of sitting outside and like eating dinner and being under the stars. Like that to me is, is nature. And, and I love those traditions of it. So yes, I totally agree. Sorry. Didn't mean to chime in, but I was like, yes, Shabbat. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. All right. I'm done. (laughs) I'll just briefly chime in just to give a short, quick response. I agree with Ashira. I think, you know, the issue is around updating our interpretations of the text and making sure that we are understanding the historical context of the things that, if interpreted poorly, would cause harm. However, these texts are called wisdom texts for a reason. They have been produced by so many communities of people over thousands of years. And there are these like living questions that come up in these sacred texts that are questions for humanity that exist outside the bounds of our 
our phones or our TVs or Netflix accounts. And I think, you know, when I struggle with the concept of theodicy, this this understanding of like, how does evil exist if God is supposed to be all good, all powerful, all these things? And that's a whole other conversation. I've gone down that path and figured it out for myself. But mystery has a lot to do with my answer. You know, you look at the book of Job and you realize that there have been people for thousands of years who have also struggled with this question of how do we make sense of this world with evil in it and a good God, right? And that makes me feel less alone. And when you're meeting people in the tragedies of this life, you know, horrific things happen. People lose children. People are dying too soon. People have griefs that are unimaginable. Having that, that grounding of a text from thousands of years of wisdom is is a comfort to me. But I, I do agree. It is an ethical responsibility of ours to be mindful of the scholarship that is happening and the new things that we're learning. Just like in the scientific community, it would be unethical <laughs> to stop doing research studies and to stop looking for the cure for cancer. You know, in the same way in religious community, we really need to be doing those same things, but in academia. That was a great way to put it, Lexi. That was very exciting for me. Something that I think about in my brain a lot. So Stephanie is correct, right? There are so many questions that we had and we didn't get to a lot of them because we got off on other trajectories, which I love. This new show, which you guys will be in the first batch of Break the Cycle, is more about having conversations like this that, you know, Stephanie and I always say in cycle chats, we really did try and be dancing on eggshells a lot of the time, but that is no longer. We want to be a bit more upfront about how we feel, have harder conversations, and thank you all for making it so much easier to have and have thoughtful conversation. It gives me a lot of hope. Like I said, I got fulclemmed before, and I'm sure Stephanie can say the same thing because we both come from religious trauma. It is sometimes very hard to see people that are religious in a way without like hate or scared, not even hate, but it, it's just fear of this thing that I really don't want any part of because I saw how much damage it did within my own family. So I can really not thank you all enough for creating space for people like Stephanie and I who are coming from this from a very different space of almost being hurt by religion. Of course, not religion itself, but being hurt by people that, you know, see it a certain way. It, it gave I, me a lot of thanks. Yeah, go Steph. I want to interject for a second because you just said something that was beautiful, quite frankly, a little bit mind blowing because I don't think I even took a second to think about it. It's not it's not the religion that hurt me. It was the interpretation of someone else that taught it to me that hurt me and I could almost start crying right now only because I don't think I ever pieced that together and I think that's what this whole conversation really is about is that the way that we interpret things is so critical to our experiences because I can confidently say in this conversation if I knew people who preached the way that I can only assume the, just by the conversation we've been having preach the way that you ladies do, I think it would have been a very different outcome. That was just kind of like a, a light bulb aha moment. And 
something I want to say too is I think one of the biggest questions that I want to make sure that we ask is that if people are looking to find their way back to faith, what are some recommendations for them and how do they know if the community is a good fit for them? Bless you, Stephanie. And you took it right out of my mouth. That was the big That's one. That's exactly for me. what I wanted to end with. First of all, Stephanie, I just have to say like, you're getting me for clumped. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to start crying. What a podcast. Can we just define that? word for the members of our oh audience. my gosh Ooh. of course hannah you're gonna use it all the time now you're so welcome <laughs> for clemps you're getting like teary-eyed right like my grandma used to be like i'm getting for clemps let me kiss you kepi like yeah fine i can imagine i have some sometimes when i use the word equanimity or equanimous my clients are like what are you talking about so i imagine this is one of those words correct yeah yes yeah it's, it's a it's a Yiddish word. Go, Lexi. I'm sorry. It was just, yes, we needed to inform Hannah for Clint. Now you're going to use it all the time. You're welcome. Yeah, I just wanted to name what's, what was happening in this space. And for me, this virtual space has been a sacred space. So thank you all for opening this conversation up. People who are looking to get back to faith, my question is, like, what does faith mean to you? Like, that, that would be a good question to consider, right? If it means stepping back into community, you know, I would say if you had a background in Christianity and you're look, you're in a deconstruction journey and you're still looking to dip your toes into Christian community, I would, you know, the internet is a very helpful place. If you just Google, you know, like progressive Christian churches in your area or LGBTQ plus affirming churches in the area. You'll see places pop up. If you do that for Concord, New Hampshire, my church will pop up and you can come visit me. So if you're looking for physical community, I would start Googling or you could, you know, TikTok. There are a bunch of people on TikTok that are doing really amazing work around progressive theology, progressive Christian spaces, progressive Jewish spaces. I would check some of those people out. And then if you you find if you find yourself on a church website i would just start i mean all sermons and worship services these days are recorded so you don't even have to step foot in into a church if you aren't ready for that because i know that if you've had religious trauma making that decision to step into that space that physical space again with other real people that can be a huge barrier for folks initially especially if you don't know what you're going to hear in that worship service so getting online listening to sermons watching full worship services for a while let's say you're like okay i'm ready to maybe look at a worship service and do it with a support person get your friends together and like you're like what's let's check this out like treat like online dating maybe listen to a podcast of sermons there are podcasts out there the bible for normal people is a great podcast about progressive interpretations of the bible so i would use the internet and also there are some great authors out there writing rachel held evans was a great author and does a lot of content around progressive christian thought and kind of deconstruction work and you know how do we look at faith as modern people kate bowler is a really wonderful author author around this sort of stuff. Cole Arthur Riley speaks really well about modern understanding of embodied spirituality. Richard War is a great classic for someone who maybe was previously Catholic or Episcopalian, but it's like, maybe salvation is for everyone. Like Maybe God is being, you know, that's a path you could go down. So there are, are many authors out there that can help you think through deconstruction and get in t back in touch with your sense of faith for sure. So those are the 
places I'd start. That was a long answer. No, that was great. I didn't come as prepared with all the book recs and stuff, but I'll try. I'll try and think. Similar to Lexi, I would say instead of what what faith maybe are, I th- what, remind me what you said, the first thing you said, Lexi, the faith that you're trying to get out of. I recommended people ask like, what is faith to you? So when you said that, I was like, okay, that is so similar to what I was going to say, except I would say, what are you looking to get out of your experience going back to faith? And I think having just that clarity of what you're going for can be really helpful and calming because it's like, okay, I know I want to go to maybe find community or I want to go to learn more about the text in a way that, you know, fits my way that I think. And I think having that, you know, image and that idea and going in could be helpful. I also think I worked before I went to rabbinical school, I worked as an engagement associate at a Hillel on a college campus. And so I was constantly, my demographic were students who one either didn't want to go to Hillel or their parents when they dropped them off at college, they were like, you better go to Hillel, you know? And so of course they weren't going to go because they're going to do the opposite. So it was, how do we show them that like, it actually is a space that isn't so scary and that like, it could be really nice. And so our biggest method of doing that was one, meeting them where they're at. So it would always also start outside of the building. And so it would start at a coffee shop or at their sorority house or their apartment complex to really break that barrier of what they think they're getting them into and not make it so scary. And in that first initial meeting, you figure out what their interests are, what they like to do on an everyday basis. And from that, it's more helpful for both people to understand what options there are. And so I think, you know, going onto websites and, and reaching out to people that are working there and saying, hey, would you grab a cup of coffee with me? And so that it doesn't have to be the first encounter is going into the place of worship, like you said, Lexi. Yeah. So like if somebody likes volunteering, then maybe they'll get in involved volunteering with their church, or if they like baking and cooking, you know, in Judaism, there's challah baking. So like starting there, Shabbat dinners every Friday night, you know, like that's a very easy place to start to like get your feet wet in religion again. I always tell my husband, one of the ways that I would like to get back involved, because I haven't set foot in a temple since the stuff went down in my household when I was 16 is through volunteering because when I grew up my mom was heavily involved in that aspect of our temple no matter which one we went to she was always the head of the sisterhood and she would make sure that we had an event where we would cook for the Ronald McDonald house and then drop it off and have dinner with the patients and it was always my favorite day of the year and I I always tell my husband that is what I would like to do in the future future is get back into that and, and start doing things like that again because it just felt really good like I love giving to people and if that's my way of doing it and also like connecting to this religious side of me th- that's the way I, I would want to do it because that I already have a very like heartfelt connection to that space I would be very remiss and this is typically Stephanie's thing but I would be severely remiss if I did not have our listeners know where to find you all and be able to get in in touch with you it's it's probably very important my dad is gonna write you all emails I mean he's gonna figure out how to like I mean I'm gonna have to write the email and he's gonna tell me and then I'll send it for him but like you're all gonna get messages from my my father 
father personally, I, I can already tell you. So where can people find you and how do they reach out to you if they're interested in connecting? I can start. I Also go listen to Hannah's episode of Cycle Chats with us because she was awesome. Yeah, that was super fun. So I am on YouTube and Instagram as Theology Therapist. And the easiest way to stay in touch is to just sign up for the probably soon to be monthly newsletter. And yeah, always welcome to to reach out through any of those means. I have a public Instagram account, rev.lexi, R-E-V dot Lexi, L-E-X-I. So you can DM me there. And you can also find me through the First Congregational Church of Hopkinton, New Hampshire website and contact me via email there. Although currently, so only our office email is functional. It's, it's I, I just changed jobs anyways, but I can, if you DM me on Instagram, I can give you my my email. Similar to Hannah and Lexi, you can find me at my Instagram that I mentioned earlier, Everyday Rabbi, and message me, DM me, respond to my stories, tell me, be honest, tell me what you think. I love honesty. And also I'm the rabbinic intern at Largemont Temple in Westchester. So largemonttemple.org. And my email is, is on that website too. This made me feel all sorts of ways. I'm going to yeah. really look forward to editing, editing this and, and having a big old tissue box next to me and having a good cry. I really tried to hold it in so that I didn't cry, but definitely listening back to this, it's going to be one of those things where it's a good shower cry. And all of you, thank you for having a, what we had hoped to have a very insightful, very loving conversation because I have always felt what is faith without love. To me, the two go hand in hand. And so- I feel that there was a lot of love in the room and I'm very appreciative of that because, you know, it could have gone the other way and it didn't. So thank you for bringing your expertise, bringing your personal touch to things and really not for nothing. But again, like I said, I'm very spiritual now. So for me, I do feel that I feel like my spirit is giving me a little hug right now. I feel very centered and really affirmed in a lot of things. So thank you all for that. Like, you all heard all of our listeners. If you want to go check out any of the links below, we'll have all of the ladies links so you can go check them out, ask questions, slide into their DMs. If you liked this, let us know because like I said, we didn't get to like half of our questions. So I'd be happy to, <laughs> I'd be happy to do this again and do another round table. This was just, Lexi said it earlier, but this was delicious. This was really, really <laughs> just a lovely dessert and end to my day. I couldn't agree more. And I think that Emily and Steph, I think you guys have a future in preaching. You have a lot of wisdom <laughs> to offer. <laughs> well, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, I do it to, for my students in the classroom. That that's my that's my preaching is is in that classroom. Just trying to make them better humans because we need more empathy and sympathy in this world, as I always say to them. Well, thank you everyone for listening and a gigantic thank you to all you ladies for taking time to speak with us. This actually went over a little bit more than we thought. We were like, we'll keep it down to an hour and it's been two hours. So almost. So we are so, so hour and a half, something like that. Time is a social construct. It is. <laughs> Thank you so much for everything. Everyone, please check out all their links below. If you don't know who we are, just go to www.cyclechats.com. It's all there. And as we now say, we hope you continue to sync up with us. 